Welcome to Bullish, where we talk about the journey and process to build ourselves and companies into multi-billion dollar people and brands. Currently, my business and investment funds have done tens of millions in revenue. And this is the documentation of the journey to scale to the billion dollar realm. All while we give back and do good in the world. My name is Bridger Pennington and welcome to Bullish. The advances in healthcare right now are phenomenal. I've been hearing people say online and stuff, the first person to live to 200 years old is already alive. I would love to hear your thoughts and, and some interesting insights on current advances in healthcare right now. Yeah, so Aubrey de Grey of the SENS Research Foundation has actually said that the first person who will live to a thousand mm. is alive today. And wow. uh, what he's essentially saying is that a baby born today over the, who has a life expectancy of 90 to 100 years um, can, can uh, generally anticipate that during that lifespan, during the next 90 to 100 years, uh, we will have arrived at a, um, in, in, we will have uh, acquired the ability to increase longevity, again, uh, essentially 10x. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what's interesting about some of these things is, is that it, the, the numbers that are being used and the dates that are being used, a lot of people get bogged down on, on, you know, is it going to be 200 times? Uh, are we going to live to 200 years old or are we going to live to a thousand years old? Is it going to happen in five years or is it going to happen in 50 years? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is this, it really doesn't matter whether it happens in five years or 10 years or 15 years. It's, it's coming during your lifetime. It's coming during your children's lifetime. It's coming like a freight train. It's going to have massive implications globally. Yeah. And, um, you know, the exact timing is unknown to, to all of us, um, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be preparing. Yeah. So what are some of the driving things of predictions like that? Is it, is it based on age of cells, how cells reproduce? What are some drivers? Is it nano things going in your blood? I've seen all these different reports, but I'm curious which ones excite you the most that's moving the needle the most right now. Um, in terms of what's happening that excites me the most? In, in healthcare. So what do you think is driving right now in healthcare, those types of things the most? Is it, you know, I've seen people reverse age of cells or not reverse, but pause because our cells like reproduce every day. And then, but, and then slowly over time, they slowly age and we don't know why, but if you can stop that from happening and they just stay, those cells reproduce and there, there's no aging that happens on those cells. You could essentially live like you're 27 years old forever. Um, I'm just curious, are there any new insights that- Quiet. Sorry. Any new in oh, you're all right. Any new insights in the healthcare space that you think are really compelling currently that you've seen? Well, I think that that what they're trying to do in longevity is they're trying to um, essentially increase our advances in healthcare by buying us more time, right? So um, if we can prolong our life, um, that should be the first angle of attack. Because if we can prolong our, our, you know, the period of life that we have, we can then continue to work on uh, fine tuning and adjusting um, the quality of life, I guess, throughout that process. Um, there are a number of things that they're doing in terms of um, uh, there's there there's some work in the area of telomeres. Uh, where there, where uh, DeGray and his researchers are basically talking about increasing the length of our telomeres, and that what's that? What's a telomere? It's uh, it's the end of a DNA sequence or uh, uh, a, a molecular sequence um, that uh, looks like these elongated um, 
objects. Mm, and okay. um, I'm, I'm not uh, deep on the science on this in terms of, uh, you know, being able to, to dive very deeply in it. But that's the that's essentially what what they're working on. Others are talking about um, rebooting our code, uh, looking at organisms as algorithms. And essentially, uh, Harari was saying this at the World Economic Forum in 2018, that, that uh, um, organisms are essentially algorithms and that um, you, can, uh, you can learn to reboot uh, these algorithms and reverse aging. Mm, yeah, interesting. And I've seen, well, there's been other studies done with, you know, Altos Labs just raised uh, something like $2 billion in their seed round, which is the highest raise of all time. They were, re they were re reverse or long, long gating the lives of mice to like three or four times their current life cycles. And they thought they could do the same thing to humans by doing a, a genetic code change. Very interesting what's going on. And, and exactly. again, you know, there's all these, uh, again, which the, the thing right now, back to the convergence of technology, they're using all these different, like like AI or other things in blockchain to now map and use and put into things that for longevity that can allow, you know, humans potentially to live to a thousand years that are already currently alive today, which is just uh, wild to think about. So I want to change gears for a second. So how did, um, how did this book come about? The so, Millennial Samurai, what was the story behind this book? Yeah. And you mentioned you're, you had your nieces, you're on your death, you know, you've had a heart attack. I'm curious the whole story behind this book though. Okay. So, so essentially what happened was in 2012, I had a heart attack and my daughter uh, was 15 at the time. And so my concern was that I might pass away and uh, not provide her, you know, the full level of guidance and direction that I had hoped to provide. And so I began to write a letter and the letter became very long. And then ultimately the letter uh, became the first book that I wrote, uh, which was called Seize Your Destiny. A roadmap to success and that was essentially me downloading what i had learned in my professional life over the past 30 years and after finishing that i realized that the world that my daughter was going to live in was not the past 30 years it was the next 30 years mm -hmm. and so then the question became uh well what's going to happen over the next 30 years mm -hmm. and so from that point forward i started looking and i'm not a technologist i'm not a scientist or a technologist i'm a lawyer um, I'm a critical thinker and a complex problem solver and who had never looked at any of these issues prior to that time. And um, what happened was that, that caused me to start looking at the next 30 years. And what I saw was profound and uh, surprised me. And I thought, well, look, if it's if it's surprising me, uh, there are probably a lot of other people that would be surprised by what I've discovered. And so I began to write the second book, and that was Millennial Samurai, a mindset for the 21st century. And Millennial Samurai, let me kind of tell you what that's about. Yeah, yeah, dive into so, it for us. So first of all, if I were going to drop you off in the Amazon rainforest, and I were going to give you a duffel bag for your survival, you know generally what would go in that duffel bag, um, right? And so if I'm going to drop my daughter off uh, in the middle of the 21st century, and uh, I want to give her something for her survival, give her a duffel bag, this book is that duffel bag, right? This is yeah. what I think can help lead her through that process of uh, discovering how to think about issues, how to make the right decisions about issues, um, understanding what is important in life and what's not important, 
and uh, being prepared for this technological tsunami that is going to hit and um, understanding that you need to run at it as opposed to run away from it and that you need to leverage it. You need to learn how to surf a technological tsunami and you need to learn how to dance with machines. And you know whatever disruption uh, all of this causes or whatever um, uh, adversity it may cause, uh, it will also create opportunities, huge opportunities. And you need to be looking for those opportunities. In change and, and in adversity, there is always opportunity. And so the book, you know, talks about essentially the mindset that's required to survive and thrive in that kind of a dynamic, ever-changing, radically and rapid, rapidly uh, changing landscape. And um, out of all the things that I would leave to my daughter, there's none that, are, that I feel is more important than that book. Oh, that's amazing. So again, you guys can go find Millennial Samurai, where uh, Amazon, or what's a good place to find it? Yeah, so that you can you can go on Amazon to get the book itself. Or um, yeah. I'm also trying to give away a million free copies, so you can download the entire book, uh, a digital copy of the book at MillennialSamurai.com, and mm -hmm. uh, it's completely free. Um, or if you want a physical hard copy, go to Amazon, read the reviews and buy the book, uh, get it for your kids, get it for your nephews and nieces, uh, your friends' kids. It's, uh, it's something that uh, if you read the reviews, you'll see, you know, people are saying it, uh, it should be in every home in America. And uh, I believe that. Oh, that's amazing. So again, what's the link one more time to get to download the free book? Uh, MillennialSamurai.com. Okay, millennialsamurai.com. Awesome. Hey, hey, what's going on, people? Hope you're enjoying the show. This is Bridger Pains in here. So if you've liked the show so far, if you're more of a visual learner, we actually post almost all of these to YouTube. So if you go look me up, Bridger Pennington on YouTube, we're there. We actually have a ton of different content on funds and different business structure and strategy stuff that we kind of don't touch on on the podcast, but are more visual based stuff. So if you're a visual learner, go to YouTube and go check me out, Bridger Pennington on YouTube. With that, we'll get back to the show. Thanks, guys. Okay, George, changing gears again on you. Let's talk about how this affects freedom. You talked about, uh, you gave an example earlier, you know, you're having a heart attack, your car can just pivot and take you right to the hospital and check you in and, and kind of against your will, you know, with new technology, every time we've had new technology, you kind of give up freedoms for convenience, typically. As we have these convergence of technologies, do you, what do you think, you know, from a, from a regulator point of view, from a, a, a central government point of view, how should... You know, you worked in the Nevada state legislator for, or in the, as an attorney general in Nevada state for a while, you've seen a, you know, that end of politics. How do you think um, politicians should approach emerging technologies and what's going on right now? Very carefully with, uh, with, a, um, with some guiding principles about uh, individual privacy and individual freedom. And I think that the, the implications of this technology are um, profoundly positive and potentially profoundly negative. Um, there, there is a trade-off between- yeah, unpack, unpack that for a second, yeah. Well, so first of all, profoundly positive in that, uh, you know, like, like uh, Gabriel Byrne and uh, Dan Mapes say, the interconnectivity of a spatial web um, could increase uh, global efficiencies, economic efficiencies tenfold, and that could create abundance and that could 
uh, be very, very, you know, incredibly positive for humanity. On the other hand, if you have a spatial web with complete interconnectivity and trillions of sensors on everything, then you know every move I'm making, you know everywhere I am, uh, you know what I'm doing, um, yeah. you, you know massive amounts of information about me, and um, some of that information can be used to help me and to meet my needs, and some of that information can be used to control me if, uh, if someone were want, you know, wanting to put it to that use and were in that control. Um, there are also you know, more subtle uh, influences that uh, will come about as a consequence of what we're talking about. You look at ChatGPT today, and you look yep. at the fact that it's got a programmer bias, right? Yeah. So um, whoever's you know programming that ChatGPT today is uh, uh, that bias is is uh, definitely going to influence the uh, recommendations that it offers and the. And for people for people that didn't see that, it was they had to write a, a certain clause about President Biden versus President Trump. It wrote a great thing about President Biden. It would it wouldn't write anything about President Trump, right? Yeah. It's very interesting and and. They've they've come out now and said we're trying to fix this on our firewall and stuff to block, but it's it's kind of a a filtered view at least what we're seeing of Chat GPT. It's not the they'll it'll give you all these red flags like if you ask it for, hey, give me a, a great trading algorithm to trade the SP five hundred. It says well, I can't give financial advice, which is just a blocker thing or I can't comment on the presidential elections. But it it does have it does have a thought like I oh, yeah. it'd be nice to get the true unfiltered thought. But anyways, that's what's currently happening with with Chat GPT. Yeah. So the um, so there are going to be there's going to be a period of um, adjustment and of uh, modifications and tweaking uh, that's going to occur uh, over a period of time in which we're going to uh, e either it's going to either I think that the market will essentially create different um, AI chatbots and some of them might have a more conservative. Um, bias, and some of them might have a more liberal bias, and some of them may be designed to have a neutral uh, uh, or very limited bias. Um, I, I don't know that you can eliminate bias entirely. I don't think you can, um, but you can balance it. And um, I think that uh, what people want, what it, it really, it's going to get down to consumer preferences, right? So you look at the news media. In the 1960s, uh, Walter Cronkite was the most trusted man in America. The Fairness Doctrine was in place, and we yeah. got a balanced media without uh, a lot of editorial. Today, we get uh, relatively zero balance and nothing but editorial, and uh, the media has evolved into a very market-segmented uh, industry, right? So Fox News has a market and a segment, and they uh, create content that that plays to that market. And uh, MSNBC does the same thing in the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, we probably will have uh, these uh, AI chatbots that will evolve in the same direction, where as media have, where we'll have different options. Uh, do you want a you know, uh, the MSNBC chatbot, or do you want the Fox chatbot? Huh, very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, and we'll see how technology emerges, I guess, and evolves. 
And you would hope, you know, you, you would hope, uh, like one hope of a, you know, a world that has sent, like you mentioned sensors everywhere and things that you could have almost an unfiltered media. It's actually funny enough. One of my favorite media sources for a world event is TikTok. Have you ever been on TikTok during a ma- major event? Oh yeah. It is amazing. When, when the United States was leaving uh, Afghanistan, remember that, that terrible like week there, I saw probably a hundred videos from just people on the ground. Oh yeah. Just, we, there was a video of the guy on the plane. It was his account. He's like, I'm on the plane. They was, remember it was rolling away. It was, and, there yeah. was, and then I saw another angle of a different guy over here. And then a guy on the ground filming them as they went by another guy <laughs> that was a U.S. soldier, a different guy that was an Afghan. It was a, you saw a hundred videos of a different angles of one thing. And I was like, wow, that's media. That's yeah. a, and like the Ukraine war took off and it was incredible to watch, you know, thousands of videos from just people in their homes, taking a video, posting it, taking a video, posting it. You saw like a holistic view of what this war entails, which is so interesting. Yeah. I I'm actually, I'm on TikTok every day and, and I'm watching it because most of the uh, video that you see on TikTok, you don't see anywhere else. Yeah. And, and so if you really want to know what's going on in Ukraine, uh, one of the best ways is to watch TikTok. And it's sad. I 100% agree. People are always like, it's chat. It's, dude, it is so, it's just unfiltered. It's raw. It's right from someone's phone. It's, and you can, it's amazing. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. And you're getting all these views. So there are a couple of things that are important about this particular topic that we're on and how it dovetails into everything else that we've been talking about, which is, um, first of all, sources of information, trying to discover the truth the need for an unbiased media, and most importantly, something that we haven't even discussed, which is the malleability of the human brain. Um, We we don't, you know, no one's talking about this, but the fact is that our brains are incredibly, incredibly malleable. Mm -hmm. So just just so that you understand the threat that this poses Mm -hmm. is... um, there, our brains receive approximately 11 million bits of information per second, every second of the day. Yet our conscious brain can only process roughly 15 to 50 bits of information per second. So we are be, being bombarded with information. More information than ever is coming into our brain. Um, the knowledge of uh, marketing and, and the use of social media and the, uh, the ability to weaponize media and target media very specifically to specific individuals that we know a great deal about. We know how to, we know what triggers they have, what buttons to push. Uh, the ability of someone to use media uh, as a weapon against the public um, to shape public opinion. Uh, influence our elections, move us in a direction um, is a very, very substantial threat. Um, You know, war in the future is not going to take the same form that war in the past has or that war is currently taking in Ukraine. Um, You know, the conventional based war that we're seeing with uh, artillery shells and tanks and missiles and uh, uh, old weapons um, it's, it's almost like they're clearing out their unused inventory. And that's what it seems like. I totally agree with that. Yep. You know, and just running through this, this garbage, uh, munitions, uh, because they have it and, you know, it's not good for anything other than killing people. So let's put it to use. Um, but the, the wars in the future aren't going to be fought that way. Um, very soon, 
um, wars are going to take on a very different shape, uh, like drone warfare or um, electronic or computer uh, uh, virus uh, warfare, or warfare against our satellites or the use of insects. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are uh, potentially available today that countries are working on. And uh, those wars scare me. Those wars are the wars that, uh, that I am more concerned about. And so my, my attitude is I'm against the war in Ukraine. And the reason that I'm against it is because um, it seems that the rationale is, is very flawed to me. It's fundamentally flawed. The idea is that um, let's degrade the Russian military by taking out you know, uh, as many of their soldiers and armaments as possible at a very low cost using non-American lives, right? So we've got Ukrainian yeah. soldiers that are fighting this battle. So we don't have to use or lose American lives. And uh, we're able to uh, you know, thoroughly degrade the Russian military and the Russian economy at uh, a fraction of our annual military budget. It seems like you know, a great idea, but the, uh, the downside is that what are, what are we leaving in the wake of all of this, right? Let's say you have a degraded military in Russia. They've still got 6,000 nuclear weapons. So what have you done? Have you turned them into a North Korea? Have you turned them into, have you turned Putin into a Kim Jong-un, right? Where, where's this all yeah. going, right? So, and with, and with the, the weapons that are available uh, for future wars, the idea that we can't figure out a way to get along with the Russians or to get along with the Chinese is very disturbing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's the right path. I think that ultimately, as a world, we have to learn how to coexist, especially in a technological era in which uh, we could extinguish ourselves, right? Um, it, it's so interesting. Of uh, The U.S. does not have any motive to de-escalate this war at all. It seems like we are only escalating this war. We're using old munitions. It seems like old tactics as well, old military tactics. We are not using the new. It's kind of this weird pseudo old-fashioned war that's being fought with other lives to destabilize potentially. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to question, like, what's the goal of whoever is running the decision in the United States What's the goal? Is the goal to destabilize Putin? Is it to kill Putin? Is it to put them in a shell like North Korea? Is it to just revamp them? Is it to make China destabilize? Are we trying to destabilize both these guys so that we can make sure that they use our currency and we launch a central bank digital currency that they use? I'm, I'm trying to find the end, the game, because we are not, we are, we are perpetuating this war. We are not giving them a way to retreat. We're not negotiating for peace. Biden just went last week and said, we will do as, as long as it takes. We will, we will help Ukraine. And uh, I don't know, any, any thoughts there on the end game of this, this kind of war? Yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I think is the missing piece as well. I don't understand the end game and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I understand the short-term thinking. The short-term yeah. thinking yeah. is we don't want Russia. We don't want a muscular and, and militarist Russia running around, you know, Latvia and Poland and Estonia and Ukraine causing trouble, right? So let's take them out, right? We have an opportunity here um, to take them out and Ukraine is willing to fight the battle. You know, what's interesting also is that Poland is, um, and you know, you mentioned this on TikTok, uh, you mentioned uh, this ties into TikTok. I saw a video on TikTok recently and, uh, 
it's talking about the plans of the Polish military. The Polish military is announced that they are going to be spending 3% of their uh, uh, GDP on their military. And that this expenditure is going to cause them to be spending more than Britain, France, and Germany combined. <laughs> okay, wow. so, so Poland, a member of NATO, so, so first of all, understand that, that NATO has expanded uh, from the 1980s of uh, 12 original members to now 30 members. They've moved east. They've uh, um, uh, essentially um, uh, caused all of these Eastern European bloc countries to join NATO, all but Russia and, and yeah, Ukraine. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Putin spoke in Munich in 2007 and basically said that, you know, why are you marching east? What, what is going on? What, what is your yeah. plan? Who is your enemy? Um, you know, and if you come further east, um, know that we are drawing a red line at Ukraine. Yeah. And that yep. we consider that an existential threat if NATO were to go into Ukraine. And uh, he was telling them this in 2007. And, and NATO continued to march forward towards Ukraine, continued to court Ukraine. Um, Ukraine should be neutral. Ukraine should not be part of NATO or part of uh, Russia. It should be a neutral country that's able to do what it wants without interference from either one. It shouldn't, I don't believe, be part of NATO because that's a, that does create a security threat for a legitimate security threat for Putin because of proximity. It yeah, puts yeah. NATO's forces too close to his border. And so it's a it's it's understandable that he wouldn't accept that. I don't buy the argument that Putin. Uh, it's all about Putin being the madman who wants you know to uh, reconstitute Russia. I don't think any Russian leader would have allowed NATO uh, to uh, come into Ukraine and uh, put you know offensive missiles or troops in Ukraine. So um, I'm not sure where this is going. I think what they yeah, wanted it's to interesting. do. Yeah. yeah, they wanted they wanted to basically uh, defang Russia, right? Make them weaker. Um, but are you really making them weaker when they still have six thousand nuclear weapons and now they're just poorer, angrier, more isolated, and have fewer options yeah. uh, other than nuclear options? Has that made us safer? I I don't I don't think it has. <laughs> I know it's very interesting. I I wonder if there's some some way to neutralize the nuclear threat like they you know how they put that code into um iran i believe it was iran where they, oh, they yeah. put that that thing that went and if you yeah, guys don't yeah. know, you're talking about future warfare yeah they, yeah they developed a um a virus that only attacked iran's nuclear missile program and it went in they they put it in the web and it went in and it actually attacked and demobilized their entire nuclear program just through a piece of code which yeah. is so cool. This is like 2014, I think, right? Yeah. From, um, was, from the U.S. military. SyncNet or something like that. Yeah, go look it up on YouTube. Fascinating thing. The other one you mentioned is kind of future warfare, drone warfare. Saudi Arabia, I believe it was two years ago, was attacked by a swarm of drones. Yeah. So you can imagine, imagine like 3,000 drones all holding a grenade flying yeah. over your fence border towards a city. Like, how would you stop that, right? Yeah. Do you have to do an EMP? Do you have to have a net? Like, and they, they went and attacked one of their oil facilities and it blew up and had this crazy thing. And, and um, I mean, that's kind of warfare of the future, right? Well, here, yeah, here's, here's the thing. The drones don't have to be big. They can be miniaturized drones the size mm -hmm. of insects that mm -hmm. can contain a deadly poison at, 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 on the tip. 
or that can contain a small uh, uh, explosive that is big enough to hit you in, in the forehead and kill you, right? Yeah. So insect drones um, released in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, imagine that in urban areas, there are no ways to protect against something like that because it could come at, it could come in at any altitude. It could come in, you know, skirting across the ground. You can't create a net that's big enough you know, how uh, maybe some kind of electronic pulse or, you know, yeah. magne uh, mag uh, mag magnetic field or something. An EMP. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's yeah. super interesting. So yeah. Uh, anyways, George, it's been a fantastic having you on. I know we've, we've gone a little bit long here. I've, I've kept you, but this is just so intriguing and so interesting. I love, as you can tell, this is fun to talk about. I just think it's so, it's just so intriguing. Um, final, uh, final two questions for you. Um, so we already mentioned your book. What's the best way to, for people to get in touch with you? Is it your book? Is that the best place to go? And one more time, drop that link for everybody. So here's sure. the book again. So, so you can reach me at gjchanos.com. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, gjchanos at gmail.com um, is my email. Or you can go to georgejchanos.com and it's C-H-A-N-O-S or Millennial Samurai. Um, millennialsamurai.com to download the digital version of the book for free or find the book on Amazon, uh, Millennial Samurai, a mindset for the 21st century. Um, I promise you it's something that you'll, you'll be happy that you, you got and that you read. No, I love it. George, thank you so much for that. And you guys can go grab the free book there. Final question, George. Um, if I love asking this as a final question, if you could leave this audience, if this was kind of your last interview and you had to leave the audience with one thing that you thought was most important, most valuable, most pertinent to this audience to leave them with today, I'll give you about a minute, minute and a half. What would you leave this audience with? Okay, so I would, I would tell you that, that uh, our power uh, lies in our unity, that, that individually we're, we're not very powerful, but collectively we're immensely powerful. And that if you look at, you know, even the animal kingdom, if you look at colonies of ants or colonies of bees or uh, schools of fish or flocks of sterling, uh, it's all about collaboration. It's all about cooperation. That's what has allowed our species to thrive above all others is our ability to collaborate and our ability to plan ahead. And, and those are the two things that we really need to focus on. We need to think about the future. We need to think ahead and we need to learn to collaborate. We need to understand that we are profoundly interdependent with one another. And everything that we do to, to tear apart at the social fabrics that bind us is a mistake. We need to be doing what we can to create greater unity in, in the country and in the world and uh, understand that, our, that we have the tools, we have the technology, we have the tools to overcome all of the challenges that we currently encounter and that we are likely to encounter, but only as a united group, not as a divided uh, warring factions. And so um, stand against war, uh, stand for freedom, uh, and stand with one another. Those would be um, my you know, most important pieces of advice. Have an open mind. Understand that you don't have all the answers. Understand that a lot of the information, uh, Alvin Toffler once said that, uh, the illiterate of the 21st century will, will not be those who cannot read and write. It will be those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. There's a lot that we have to unlearn, and we need to open our minds to do that. 
Hey, hey guys, hope you're enjoying the show. Now, as you know, we don't run advertisements on this channel. We just spread this by word of mouth. So if you can, please rate and review the show. If it's benefited your life anyway, please drop that down below. I actually love reading them. I love seeing what people say and share and stuff. So if you guys can, if you, this show has helped you in any way, shape or form, please rate and review and share this with a friend or two that may benefit their life. We do this just to help more people understand this game that we're playing.